Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Neither Here Nor There podcast. It is episode 12. I'm your host, Stephen Kilby, and my co-host, as always, is Daniel Greer, who's on the other side of the world. How are you, Daniel? I'm good, and it's hard to believe that there's over 12 hours of us talking. And on top of that, people actually listen to us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's quite scary, isn't it? I think we are getting to that point now where it's not just a coincidence that people are listening. It's People are actually tuning in every couple of weeks, which is quite scary. Yeah. When you think of the nonsense that we come up with. The episode that we last had already has 33 listens, so... There's at least 33 people that feel sorry for us enough to listen to us. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is, we know it's not just our parents doing it out of pity and sympathy, because that's only four. So who these other people are, and it's not just us listening over and over again to bump the numbers up. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, shout out to you all. It's amazing. So Yeah, from sea to shining sea. It's good to talk to you too. You've, uh, ladies and uh, gentlemen, you've you're listening to us talk on Tuesday, the twelfth of September. It's a quarter to eight Eastern time, Stephen. It's a quarter to one in the morning your time. But you've had quite the adventure. Tell a uh, tell tell me and tell everybody what you've been up to the past couple of days. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm back. Well, pretty fresh from being back from Japan. So I went to um, a place called. Uh, the Fuji Speedway in Gotemba, just a couple of hours, two or three hours drive out of Tokyo last week for a, a World Endurance Championship race. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I love doing those trips. I love going to Asia and going and following a championship around the world because it feels so different when you're out of Europe. But, oh, my God, is it exhausting. I mean, doing that sort of trip and you're you're there on the sort of Wednesday afternoon, or was it the Thursday morning, I think, we landed, and then you're already flying back on Monday morning first thing, so you just don't get any time to adapt to the time zone in such a short space of time. So it's, yeah, I can't say I'm very well rested, and I'm definitely uh, feeling it now because I came home last night at like midnight, and it's one of those where you just, and you know it as well, Daniel, because you've done your fair bit of tra- traveling, you just, you sit down, and then all of a sudden it's six hours later, and you just don't know how it happened. And it has happened to me twice now where I've just gone to do something and then fallen asleep. Um, and that's just a product of working silly hours um, when your body doesn't understand what time or day it is. Um, like 6 a.m. starts and midnight finishes every night on a different time zone. It's not the easiest thing to do in the world, but it was awesome. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy and I'm pleased to be back though. So, uh, so yeah, that's my adventure. Yeah, just a casual weekend trip to Japan. M- must be nice. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just had lunch in Tokyo. Yeah, I'm straight back. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, you know, there's been so many occasions where I've flown to the UK overnight, and you were your dad, or you and your dad have picked me up at the airport at six or seven in the morning, and it's one or two in the morning or whatever Eastern time, and we go back to the house, and then. I eat something, and then I'm, next thing I know, I'm just passed out on the couch and wake up, and it's 8 p.m. at night. It, it, it wears you out, for sure. Oh, yeah, especially if you fly economy and, and you don't have a chance to sleep, or if you sleep, you only get a few hours. And the thing about flying to Japan from the UK, if you fly the, if you do the direct British Airways flight, which we always do on these trips, is you fly 
at the most inconvenient time on the way there and the most inconvenient time on the way back. <laughs> so you you have a full night of sleep the night before you fly. You get up at Heathrow, um, which we did because we had to stay overnight at Heathrow because it was such an early flight, and then you're straight on the plane, which means you've only just slept, which means you can't sleep. But then when you land 15 hours later, you land in the morning. So you've got to do a whole day again. So you effectively have to do 48 hours or the better part of 48 hours straight without sleeping unless you can get some sleep on the plane. And so the first night is just you're ruined beyond belief um, by the time you get to bed. And then the, the, when you come back, you fly in the morning out in Japan and you land in the sort of late afternoon in the UK. And so, again, you fly all day, which means you don't sleep, which means you lose a night of sleep. So it's just there's just no convenient time. It's, <laughs> it's so difficult. I can't sleep very well on the economy plane. I managed a couple of hours, but it, I was on the front seat in the economy section, and there's just it was so cramped because they have the, like, the, the narrower seats because of the exit row. So and I had a really big guy next to me, <laughs> and so it was very much a sort of I had sort of had to crush my my arms together on the middle seat in the front row and just basically pray. I well, did like a few hours of work. I watched a movie and then it was like, oh my god, I've still got twelve hours to go. It's a good thing you're. It's a good thing you're a wee little lad, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, um, if had I had I not been wasting away recently, it would have been a very different story. But yeah, so uh, yeah, it was it was an experience to put it mildly. Well, so uh, I so, seem yeah, to have more that, experiences that that. lately than anything, but. Um, <laughs> I guess we better give a birthday shout out to our dear friend Wheezy, uh, whose uh, legal name is Mark Willis. Mark, we know you listen to the podcast. Uh, your birthday was last week, and you ain't forty yet, buddy. So you better enjoy that thirty ninth year. Um, it's hard to believe <laughs> that old guy. Yeah, for somebody who looks eighteen, it's pretty remarkable that he's thirty nine. So happy birthday, Wheezy! Well, looks I like, genuinely looks like wish getting... I could be there. Looks like looks like you're getting a birthday present in the mail from him if he hears that comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, I'm still I'm still grateful for the fact that he dragged his ass to yours for my birthday last year um, and showed his face. So I feel kind of bad that I'm not able to return the favor, but it's yeah, not been the easiest <laughs> second half to this year to be able to just pop over to the states for a little bit. That'll no, have we... to wait till next year. I wish you were. The fall and Halloween directions are coming out at Dollywood this week, and it makes me think of our trip oh, last year. Oh, man. Oh, it was so good. We still, me and Carolyn talk about it all the time. You it's know, nice to be at that point of the year. You know, um, my my friend Madison Chapman and her, her sister Rachel, and they both follow the podcast, and their family, they went to... Um, dollywood a week or two ago and they were both sending me pictures and messages and they were like we love dollywood we love gatlinburg and i'm like i told you guys <laughs> <laughs> it was their first time going it made me think of our our trip over there and everything um damn it was good i've had a, i've had a busy couple of days uh myself not not as interesting and as busy as yours but um i had a birthday party thursday night for a friend carter boyd Happy birthday, Carter, as well. Um, and then engagement party Friday night, and then watched a ton of football all weekend. Um, saw a snake in my, and not our friend Snake, uh, by the way. Uh, I was going to say, he just was stumbling around, was he? <laughs> no, no, he, he was probably stumbling around, but he wasn't stumbling around where I saw a snake. It was a, a real snake. I, there was a snake in my building on Sunday on the ground floor in the common area. 
and that was a bit jarring. Um, not a fan of things that was move no legs. Was it a deadly snake? I mean, do you know enough about snakes living in that part of the world to know how much sort of danger you're up against? What well, do you know what it was? In North Carolina, there are two venomous snakes. I believe just two. Uh, copperheads, which are extremely dangerous and aggressive, and then the eastern timber rattlesnake, which probably more in the mountains. There's a lot of copperheads around here because uh, of the lake, Lake Norman, but uh, luckily it wasn't either one. It was a black and white little tiny snake. It was probably a gar- uh, probably a rat snake or a black snake or something, but still, you know, nasty, nasty thing. Um, mm. Not a big fan of it. Um, I've got the Braves game on in the living room. Matt Olson just broke the Braves <laughs> franchise record. I was just going to say, I just saw that on the internet, because bizarrely, I've got the Dodgers game on. <laughs> well, well, Matt Olson just hit his 51st home run. He beat Andrew Jones's record for single season home runs. So I'm, I've got, I'm tuned into that. But uh, congrats on the Packers, Andrew, Andrew Jones, the uh, the pre, the you know, the pride of Los Angeles at one time. Yeah, yeah, and he was a legendary Brave too. Just I think he was just inducted in the Hall of Fame. But figured I would throw that anecdote in there. Um, uh, well, we have some corrections from our. Egypt topics or Cleopatra topics from last week from my dad. So shout out dad for correcting us. Some of these errors are pretty blatant. I'm embarrassed. You say us. This isn't anything to do with me. That's right. You, you, were, you were schooling me on this. I was I was a passenger in this entire situation. I'm not taking the fall for this. Well, well usually abomination. I'm, usually I'm to blame, so that, that's more than fair. But the first one is pretty alarming, so we'll run through these real quick. So I said 1500 BC is further away from Cleopatra than today. That's obviously stupidly not true. Um, she, the pyramids were built before 2000 BC, well before, because she lived around the time of Christ or 50 years before or whatever. We're in 2023, so that that's just my math skills, guys. I'm a history English person. I, I, I apparently can't do math, um, and my dad will vouch for that because we had a lot of. Uh, we had a lot of good times growing up when I'd have math homework, so to speak, and bring report card home. <laughs> um, Cleopatra did not date Pompey. She dated Mark Antony, who was uh, actually known as Marcus Antonius to the Romans uh, after Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar conquered Egypt after Cleopatra's brother had Pompey murdered. Uh, Caesar said only a Roman could have a Roman killed. Pretty arrogant of those bastards, wasn't it? <laughs> and then lastly her child was julius or her child was caesar was murdered by octavian who of course became the first roman emperor um and was known as caesar augustus after he defeated uh, mark antony and cleopatra so sorry y'all i don't think anybody else caught that but that's obviously where i get my history chops from my dad and his dad. Um, <laughs> so I figured we would make that jarring correction. Um, but yeah. And then I, I didn't mean to change the subject so fast. Anything else you want to say about Japan? Any any good food or any 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 experiences outside the racetrack that were worthwhile? There was definitely one, which you you know, I'm if if Jake's listening to this, if Weezy's listening to this, if Brian's listening to this. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I feel like, uh, as a group of friends, you're all going to be collectively very proud of me oh, while man. I was in Japan because we th- we usually we what we try and do when we're at these trips is we try and go to like 
different places every year to eat after after um, work. Uh, and the area around the circuit, most stuff stays open quite late. So you don't end up just having fast food every night because everything stays open till like midnight, 11, 11 o'clock or midnight. So this year, we normally do a Korean barbecue night or like a Katapanyaki night um, because there's some really nice nice Korean barbecue joints near the state, uh, near the um, circuit. This year, we found a new one um, that did uh, Japanese, Japanese barbecue. And um, it was amazing. It was an all-you-can-eat experience, a Japanese barbecue place. Um, and you, uh, you, your table, um, so you, it was a cook-it-yourself thing where you've got like two fire pits to each table. And so you sit around the table. So it was six of us. And... Um, yeah, it's like pay 3,000 yen, I think it was, something like that, um, each for all you can eat and all you can drink, alcohol included. Um, and we, I imagine, have changed their all-you-can-eat policy in one night because we dominated that place. We ordered so <laughs> much meat. And the great thing about it is that it's entirely served by robots. So you don't have to do an embarrassed sort of, you know, chat with any sort of waiters or waitresses to admit that you're about to order your 30th steak you you just have an ipad with a menu you order your food and then in the kitchen somewhere they have these little robots on wheels with like big trays and they just go into the kitchen and the person in the kitchen puts it on the on the robot tray table and the robot goes around the around the restaurant and then it stops at your table turns around and you take the food off the back of this robot that has silly music playing and like big eyes on a screen on the front of it and it just sort of goes around and there are loads of these little robots basically going around the restaurant all night and genuinely i've never eaten so much meat in one go it was and i've eaten meat in my time it I'll was outrageous <laughs> i'll send you it later i will send you it later there's a video of at the end of the night when we had our 90 minutes of all you can eat time were up we i did a video of um the my colleague of mine who was sitting next to me who, who grabbed the ipad and like looked through what we ordered and it the list was seriously outrageous i mean i've it was i, I genuinely couldn't put a number on the number of meat dishes we ordered we had like one bit of lettuce you know, one octopus well, dough ball each, healthy. a bit of rice, and then the rest of it was just meat. And it was just, we were lobbing it on this barbecue, and I, it was so good. <laughs> and it was all Wagyu beef as well. A lot of it was, it, oh my God, it was so good. So, uh, yeah, it Chef's was, kiss. it was quite a night. Oh wow. man, it was some of the best meat I've ever had. You know, the last episode you wanted to talk about fitness, and now you come on here and you, you tell the audience, the listeners, that you just basically ate your month's worth of calories in one sitting. So, yeah, good, good yep. job, Stephen. True to form as always. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So I'm back back running. Uh, went for a jog when I was out in Japan, thankfully, to keep the walls from the door. But aside from that, like, we didn't actually eat badly because you know, Japan's not the sort of place where you're just eating constantly and eating fast food all the time. It's, you know, it's, rel it's, it's a relatively, um, you know, the portions are relatively small. A lot of Japanese restaurants, and we weren't we weren't going crazy, but we did treat ourselves that night, and we dominated. Like we were slapping each other, we were high fiving on the way out, and 
And they kept and a couple of times a waitress kind of turned around the corner to have a look at the table just to see if we were like actually coping with the amount of food that we were ordering because these robots just kept coming. And we were like taking pictures and videos of these robots. And, and it became, a, we got to the point where we were just ordering stuff just to see the robot come. And just like seeing you know, how much can we get on the back of one of these robots in one go. It was, it was crazy, man. Meatbot was awesome. So, uh, so yeah. So I'm back on the back in the gym tomorrow, um, and hopefully burn some of it off. But I think there's multiple cows went missing in September uh, last week. Jesus. Well, <laughs> well, well. That's that sounds incredible. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> oh um, man, it was good. Exercise wise, I, I don't think I've mentioned. I know I've mentioned it to you, but not on the podcast. I've been playing pickleball like crazy, like three times a week, and it's so much fun and it's addictive and um, it's great exercise. I'm absolutely exhausted when I'm done playing after a couple of hours. So I know it's big over there too. So play it sometime. It's it's a blast, man. Um, been a great mm. one to meet people too over the past month, but. Just wanted to throw that in there. Um, I have two topics to open up with. Uh, we can keep these mm. brief as we can. So, you you being a a Briton, do you know about? Do you know of the Welsh word? I know you're probably fluent in Welsh. You've already lost me. <laughs> well, <laughs> you said you said Welsh. No, no clue, mate. What? what? Well, we got to tell the story about that that Welsh guy that we met that one time. But we'll do that after this. Um, serious topic first. Um, sometime a couple years ago, I came across a and I don't know how the heck I did this or why I just do this sometimes, but I found this Welsh word and it was interesting. Is, it, is this your fact of the day? Is this your fact of the week thing? Yes, it is. Um, which nice. I think it was your turn to do a fact, but oh well. <laughs> well. I saw it in the show notes and I thought, oh, he's, he's way ahead of me here. Well, anyways, y'all, there's this um, Welsh word. It's, it's Harith. H-I-R-A-E-T-H, Harith. Uh, and it's it's actually an untranslatable word um, to English, which, of course, if you've ever tried to read Welsh, you'll probably think every word is untranslatable to English. But um, basically, the Welsh uh, word Harith, the closest translation that can be brought to us as native English speakers is... Um, the concept of a home or place or memory that you can't go back to. Now, the Welsh kind of hold this um, as a sense of national pride and for the Welsh nation state and, you know, Welsh culture. But I believe it can be applied to a larger sense in that uh, it, it just could mean, you know, like they say, you can never go home again. And it's always resonated with me because, you know, of course, I moved away from home and then moved again and will move again from home. I, I won't ever probably live where I'm from anymore. And I've been gone for almost nine years now um, from home. And of course, you know, if I ever did move back, it would never be the same for a long time. I wanted to move back home and I'm glad I never did because that's how I've grown as a person and grown career wise. But the, the word and the concept of it is interesting to me because I'm sure that we all feel that way we all have that common sense of you know nostalgia for our childhood or our youth or a certain period of time and 
maybe this will tie in a little bit to the Great Gatsby when we talk about that as one of our main topics today. But Harif, um, very interesting. Um, I'm a very sentimental and nostalgic person. I associate, you know, memories with places and songs and whatever. Um, that's just how I tick, I guess. And anyways, I wanted to share that because it's it's an interesting concept to me. So thoughts on that. I'm sure you could probably relate, even though you don't know much about Wales. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty nostalgic too. And I'm, I'm, you know, anyone who knows me will know that I'm quite a very sensitive person. And I'm, I do often, you know, have days where I spend a lot of time thinking about things that have happened to me in the past or, and I, like you, have deep associations with certain songs or films and remembering where I was at certain points in history. And and I think a lot about it. It's, uh, yeah, so I completely, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting to have a word that, that translates to effectively that. Um, I've not heard it before, so it is news to me. But, um, yeah, the deep longing for home thing's an interesting one. Because I thought when I moved to... Um, Sussex that I would really struggle to live outside of a city having grown up in sort of greater London um and I do you know I do definitely think that it would be hard for me to ever move too far away from London I love the fact that I'm still connected to it through public transport and I'm not that far away by car because I more than ever before enjoy any time that I spend near or inside London or near where I grew up um, and I really come to appreciate it now that I've moved away and moved down south into a sort of more, um, sort of more of the countryside. So yeah, I definitely understand that sort of concept because I do, you know, miss the hustle and bustle of the big city, and I do, you know, long to spend time in a city wherever I can. Living in a place that's, as you know, Daniel, from being here, it's very much not London. <laughs> <laughs> where I live now so uh yeah I definitely yeah it's a lovely place and I, I definitely feel at home here but um I I could it's made me realize that as much as I love living outside the city and I actually you know enjoy it more than I ever thought I would I definitely wouldn't want to live any further away from from London than I am now or even or a major city explicitly so Try living four thousand miles away from London, buddy. It'll it'll hit you hard. Um, <laughs> yeah, I you've think, got Charlotte on your doorstep. That's a great city. Yeah, Charlotte's Charlotte's yeah. fine for you know the good and the bad that I've been through the past couple years, the past month. Um, I'm happy to uh, happy to be here for now, but you know, not forever, more than likely, which is exciting in its own way. But, um, and I would associate you know maybe my days in Johnson City. And at East Tennessee State University with this, I miss those days so much. They were a great period of time in my life. I had all my friends. I loved my classes. You know, I'll do a whole episode on that at some point. Um, and then I also miss London from the semester abroad uh, in 2014, mm. which I think, you know, this winter or spring when we hit 10 years since then, which is just shocking I'll talk about that as a whole episode or maybe more because it was the, a pivotal um, point of my life. And I, I do, I do miss London, you know, and it's always good to go back and it's never the same. And, uh, 
it's yeah i mean i think about that concept that word a lot it, it resonates as i said with me and i figured it would with you too um the other thing is you know yesterday was the 22nd anniversary of 9-11 and this will surprise you before you woke up earlier i'd actually recorded an emergency episode just me talking about 9-11 and what it means and how it changed the world how it changed our lives and how as millennials it affected us uh since it was topical and because i wanted to get something out and thank goodness that that episode is not going to have to be aired because believe it or not it is really hard to talk on a podcast by yourself about something Um, well, I said to you before, I want to do an episode dedicated to it where I talk to you about it and almost not interview you, but ask you questions that are poignant as somebody who was, who's from America and lived there. Because it's such a massive, you know, moment in the, in world news and world history that, you know, we lived through and that our parents certainly did. And every one of our generation is kind of affected by it in some way. Everybody remembers where they were, obviously, when it happened. So, but you being closer to it than, than most of us and most of the people I grew up with, I always think it would be interesting to, as, to sort of take a podcast and come at it from my angle and ask you about your experience of it because it probably hits you differently to, to anyone who is not, not an American. Yeah, well, we can definitely do that. Maybe maybe next year or, or the next episode. I guess the next episode will be pushing October and I know we want to do a fall slash autumn episode and then a Halloween episode, so... I definitely want to talk about that. And it'll be so much easier to do it with you because, um, you know, you're a great interviewer. So it helps carry the conversation along, I guess. Really, this the other thing I wanted to say about that was I'm actually going to be in New York uh, Thursday through Sunday. So that's kind of topical as well with it being the week of 9-11. I'll be flying up to LaGuardia and then my, my, my friend Amanda, who you – uh, knows near and dear to me and you you met her a long time ago in London Amanda and I were we were roommates in London many moons ago and still really good friends she was she and uh, I'm friends with her friends she's friends with mine she and Melissa um, were down here for my birthday in June but I'm going up to hang out with hang out with them and stay with her this weekend on Long Island so no New York City not really a New York City guy I've been to it. It's fine. But Long Island's great. Love going to Long Island, especially this time of year when it's fall temperatures and it's um, it's going to be fun. A good weekend to get away. And yeah, I'm excited for that. But did I ever tell you about the Matchbox that I bought two years ago on the 20th anniversary of 9-11? Uh, it does ring a bell when I read that in the notes. I feel like you've shown it to me. Yes, I keep it in my safe. And anyways, mm. and for those listening, um, two years ago on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, I got a wild hair and I was like, well, you know, I want something to memorialize 9-11 myself. I guess this goes back to the sentimentality um, that makes up my personality as well. But um, I bought a matchbox from the Windows of the World restaurant, which was the restaurant on the top floor of one of the two twin towers before they were destroyed. It's a matchbox. It says world trade center has the phone number, you know, lists, I guess like the different segments of the restaurant on it. But yeah, it's, it, unless somebody scam me on eBay, it is a authentic bona fide relic of the original world, world trade centers. 
that I have. Mm, and so, interesting. I, so, you know, I have a lot of collectibles and stuff like that. I, goes back to kind of just what i like to have and what i like to keep um but yeah uh wanted to talk about that so i guess we can just probably jump into the topics um are you well you wanted to mention uh the martian the book you read recently right yeah that's yeah i'll i'll be brief but the, the flights to japan which unfortunately because we don't fly over russian airspace anymore i've got longer than they used to be, and I wasn't really prepared for a 16-hour flight as much as I thought I was on the way back. Um, it was a good time for me to get back into reading. So on the way there, I read The Great Gatsby, which we'll talk about later on in the show, all the way through in one go. I rest- I'd, I'd already started it, but I thought, do you know what? I'm gonna- I've am gonna. i got plenty of time on this plane. I'm just going to do it back to back and just cover to cover it and do it, do it from the start because I'd left it a few weeks since last picking it up. So I wanted just to refresh my memory. So I did that on the way out. And then on the way back, um, I started reading The Martian, which is has which I'm guessing a lot of people know from the film, the Matt Damon film, um, more than the book perhaps. I don't know how popular of a book it is, but I was kind of thinking, I don't really know what I want to read. And I keep thinking about reading Dune and I keep reading about well, thinking about reading a sci-fi book because I'm going for a bit of a sci-fi kick at the moment. So I kind of wanted to read something to do with sci-fi. And I basically downloaded a load of samples on the Kindle store, which is one of the best things about the, about owning a Kindle is that you can sample any book and read like the first 30 pages and decide whether you want it. So I read the sample of Dune and was like, uh, I didn't really like the film that much and it's not really grabbing me. Read the sample of the first book from the Expanse series, Leviathan Wakes, and was like, this is quite complicated. I feel like I need to, to if I'm going to read this, I feel like I need to be in a really good headspace and be very awake. And then I, the third book I tried was The Martian, and I'm blown away by this book, Daniel. Like, that fiction books, I do love a good fiction book. I never used to, but I've grown to love them, and that's in part because of you inspiring me to check some out. But this is the first book in a long time where I can't stop thinking about it. Like I am properly engrossed in it, and I read most of it on the plane back, almost in one go, and I was so tired on the plane, going through waves of tiredness through the sort of mid-part of the flight, but I had the audiobook, I had it on my Kindle, and I just listened to it and read it at the same time, and then battled through the tiredness just to get far into the book. <laughs> I'm hoping to finish it this week, but I tell, I'm telling you, anybody out there who wants to read a sci-fi book who's not read it, it's so good from page one. It's it's really easy to read. It's funny. It's quite tragic at times, but it's moved so fast. It's such a fast paced book, and it's most of it's in the first person and told through like um, incident logs that the um, the main character who's stranded on Mars has to file. And it's basically him. The plot is he's on a mission to Mars, um, and they land on Mars um, and as the first crew, I think it is to to visit Mars um, from Earth and he they get caught in a dust storm and um, he gets injured and his spacesuit cuts out. So while they're trying to escape back to the spaceship to sort of abort the mission, they think he's dead because they can't read any of his vital signs for his suit. So they leave him. So his crew fly, set the course to fly like multiple years back to Earth thinking he, he's dead. And so he was never dead. And the whole thing is about him trying to survive on Mars and work out if there's any way that he can get home. And that's kind of as much as you need to know. But from it starts the moment he gets stranded and the ship takes off and it goes from there. 
and it's just awesome. Like it's just it's so good. I'm like I can't put it down. It's it's a relatively long, relatively chunky book, at least at my by my standards. It's over, it's 360 pages or something. And I mean, I breezed through the first 250 on that flight, and I'm looking forward to finishing it. So yeah, hats off to the Martian. What a fantastic book. Andy have, Weir is a very good writer. I'm gonna have to read it. You, you know, I, I've read some sci-fi over the years. I guess more recently, um, I'm ashamed to say I've had a copy of Dune for well over a decade, and I've not read it yet. It's I'm, I'm looking at it on my bookshelf now as I'm sitting in my office. Um, I really like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's a great and funny book and super easy to read. Uh, I read that again this year. And then I also read um, uh, The Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, which is better known as Blade Runner, the Harrison Ford movie. And that was pretty good, too. So and then, of course, I've actually being, um, you know, being the nerd that I am at heart, I've read a couple of the Star Wars novels uh, over the past couple of years, probably four or five, maybe more than that of them. And some of those Star Wars novels are actually really good. You know, they're written by pretty prolific authors and some of them are worth checking out, man. Um, not really a sci-fi mm. guy traditionally always. I mean, really it's history, biographies, current events, that sort of thing for me now for the most part or, or classic literature. But traditionally as a kid, I was a fantasy, you know, the Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, uh, Game of Thrones, that sort of stuff. But I guess as you read and read more, you start running out of things to read. So you start looking, looking for other things. Um, mm. So that's no, it's, good. it's definitely worth checking out. And the best thing about it is it's so grounded. It's it's written as if this is actually happening. And it's and it's written incredibly realistically. So it doesn't, uh, to my knowledge, I don't think it mentions what year this is set in. But it's as if the NASA space program has gotten to the point where they can send people to Mars. And which I'm guessing is not really that far away from where we are now. Um, and it's, but it's you know, it's so believable and it's, you know, him being trapped on Mars and things he does to try and stay alive and stuff is very realistic and it's really detailed. So there's a lot of thought has gone into the, the equipment that he's got. And I'm not an expert on space travel and um, like the equipment they use and, you know, how feasible some of the stuff that he does to sort of stay alive is, but it's written in such a way that I could believe it. Well, it's very well researched and, and scientifically accurate from what I gather. You know what that, writing style is called it's called an epistolary uh format or writing style and I, I feel like either you and i were talking about this recently or we talked about it on the podcast but actually there's a very famous horror novel written in the same manner you know what book that is uh not off the top of my head you'll have to let me know well we'll we can even talk about it more in detail because it, it, it for those of you listening if you want a good classic book to read for halloween read dracula um it's written in the oh yes way. yes yes i know what you mean yeah it's written in a series of letters isn't it letters journals newspaper articles yeah and it's 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 an awesome writing style and one that's probably not used enough um but yeah check check out dracula guys steven you would like it it's probably in the public domain so you could probably read it for free um but anyways that that hmm. reminds me of that um Shall we dive into topic number one? Are you good with doing Great Gatsby? Is that yeah, yeah? No, let's okay. go for it. Let's let's dive in. Um, it's fresh in my mind. Let's yeah, yeah. We can do that, and then we'll. So topic one will be Great Gatsby, and then the second will be social media. Um, for whatever reason, 
<laughs> so, okay, man. Um, great Gatsby. So let's hear it. Let's hear your elevator pitch in 30 seconds on what you thought about the book. One of my favorites. So I read, so, okay. So my history of Great Gatsby is I, I've always been aware of it because it was a book that everybody um, who did English literature at my school, my high school, studied. But I didn't do English Lit for A-level. So it was never something that I studied, but it was always in the background as people would be talking about the fact they were going for I had a lot of friends who were on that course. So, um, yeah, I, I know plenty of people who have read it. But I, until this week, I'd, I'd never sat and immersed myself in it i was obviously aware of the film with leonardo dicaprio which i've not seen Great. so i had no context yeah and, and i do feel like i need to watch the movie definitely after reading the book um and i think carolyn's read the book and she's seen the movie but i think she's going to watch it with me um but you sold it to me on the basis that it's sort of set in 1922 and it's and it and it's a good sort of showcase and a good sort of ode to that period of time and for me, that's a really fascinating period of time. So just on that basis, I was happy to read it. Um, the other, I guess, clear um, uh, clear thing about the book is that it's quite short. And that's quite, that's got an appeal to me, is the fact that it's, it's what, 180 pages, something like that. Um, so it's something that I could feasibly read in a short period of time on a on a train or a plane in this case i read it on a plane in one go and there's not many i'm a very slow reader so that's there's not many books or pieces of um literature i can say i've read in one sitting so to do this in one go was was well worth it i thought but yeah so my overall thoughts of it are uh i had no idea what the story was going to be about so i was completely taken by surprise that it's kind of got a it's effectively a romance isn't it Yes, yeah. and we can you would call it a romantic novel. Yeah, and um, I guess it's probably more in depth than that, and there's more detail. But it's a romantic novel, and I was not expecting it to be a romantic novel. I didn't really know what it was going to be, and I kind of purposely didn't read too much into it because I wanted to be surprised. Um, and I like some of the description in it. I think it's very well written. Um, I have huge respect for you know the the actual writing style i think it's there's an element of it's very engaging and um it paints a good picture in in you know not a lot of pages it being 180 pages long you don't get you know you know you've got to introduce the characters quickly you've got to set the scene quickly everything's got to be done very efficiently and it was done very well my problem with it is that i just don't think enough happens in this book until the sort of latter stages of this book i found myself sort of going how is there only like a, there's there's a you know there's less than a hundred pages left and I feel like nothing has really happened aside from you getting to know the main character and kind of getting to you know getting a sort of window into a few characters' lives and you hear about the the character Jay Gatsby and you kind of meet him sort of midway through the book don't you and my biggest criticism of it is that I just don't think it really goes anywhere like the the actual scene the set the scene it sets is great. The descriptions of of that time period are really fascinating, and and learning about that culture and lifestyle that's, you know, relatively relatable in some places, but in other places it's really far away um, from the lives we lead today. Was really interesting, but until the sort of last fifty pages, I just didn't feel it grossed me. I didn't feel like, oh my god, this is amazing. I really need to finish this. I felt like I was like, really, where is this going? 
and it kind of ends so suddenly, doesn't it? And I felt like it ended at the point where I'd only just got going. So I would say it's not my favourite book by any means. Um, it's I would I would say in terms of the books I've read over the years of fictional, it's bang smack average in the middle, which I know will probably offend a lot of people because it's such a widely regarded book. But yeah, it's Is it, it was good reading? and I've digested it. Yeah. Is it worth reading? Would would you um, say to someone that said, "Hey, you know, like I want to read a book about America in the twentieth century," would you recommend it? Would it be a great I American would say, novel to you? Yeah, I would say yes, it's worth reading, but only on the basis that it's short. If it gave me the same, you know, if I felt the same way about about it, and it was four hundred pages long, and I felt you know, that it didn't really go go to, go anywhere. And in terms of the, the sort of detail, the plot, it didn't really grab me. I would say I wouldn't bother. The fact that you can read it in a few hours, um, I think it probably took me about four hours of that flight to get through it. The fact that you can read it in such a short period of time means it is worth picking up. And I'm, and I'm probably, because I'm not really a massive fiction guy, it probably doesn't strike me as it would somebody else who's reading it. Um, but if you're interested in that period of time, it's definitely worth a read, I would say. But yeah, purely well, on the basis it's short, yeah, I would say go for it. Isn't Just it? Give it a try. I think, I think you know, it's remarkable that a book, and we can go ahead and spoil the ending of the book. So if you don't want to know how the book ends, stop listening now. But, um, you know, the book was published 98 years ago. It was published in 1925. So, so if you hadn't read it by now, you know, you've had a century to do so. <laughs> but, you know, I think it, it is remarkable that a, that a classic novel can be so easily read to this day. It's sort of like Sherlock Holmes by Arthur Conan Doyle. You know, they're still very readable uh, books. And there's just some classic literature that isn't. Like A Tale of Two Cities, great story, great story, but so hard to read. So hard to read. Dickens is so hard to read. Um, I'm glad you read it. I really, really am glad you read it for me and so that we could talk about it on the podcast. I um, I would argue and say the book is meaningful today. And of course, Fitzgerald did not plan for this book to be more than it was when he wrote it because he wrote it during the Roaring Twenties. But the way that I look at The Great Gatsby, and this is my argument for The Great Gatsby, is that the book is a microcosm for America in the World War One, Roaring Twenties, and then ultimately Great Depression and World War II era. Um, how I would argue that would be to say that the Roaring Twenties was an era of excess and growth and wealth, and there were a there was a lot of money, um, and a lot of normal people made a lot of money, like Jay Gatsby, the titular character, and uh, in my opinion, in retrospect, and we can even tie in Harith, the Welsh word to this maybe, um, is that really the Great Gatsby is a panorama of America during the twenties, thirties and forties, you have the twenties, you have the nouveau rich, you have long Island, New York city, you have the old money, the new money, the excess of wealth, the drinking, the partying. And then when Gatsby is killed, 
at the end of the book, it all comes crashing down. And I would argue, and maybe someone can write a paper or a thesis on this if they're, if they're getting a degree, that Gatsby is America himself during that period. Gatsby is new. He's likable. He's vigorous. He's um, industrious and mysterious. And mysterious, and he finds his own way in in a in a world and in a very different world than we live in, in a tougher world, and but yet he's human, and so he's he's America in the way that he was wealthy, times were good, things were great, like America was in the 1920s, and then with his demise at the end of the novel, when he's shot and killed, it to me at least represents the. Great Depression, the stock market crash, the hard times, and then ultimately World War II when all that excess and fun and positive feelings came crashing down all at once. And that's kind of how I look at the book. And I also look at it, you know, as the American dream, which can be argued, does the American dream exist or not? But, you know, Gatsby's definitely representative of that. I think that that was Fitzgerald's intent when he wrote the novel, and I think he wrote and rewrote this book hundreds of times before publishing. So I would like to know what some of the other drafts of this look like. Um, but you know, long story short, um, as Stephen mentioned, Gatsby is a the book is a love story. It's about Jay Gatsby, but told through the eyes and memories of Nick Carraway, who's just kind of an average Joe. But Gatsby has a longing for his lost love from earlier in life. And she's married to another man and she's married into old money or she is old money. And his love is a terrible person and her husband's an even worse person. And it's interesting to me because, you know, Gatsby has everything he could ever want. He has parties and wealth and automobiles, which were a commodity at the time. And, uh, you know, a mansion on Long Island, like, like basically a house that very few could even afford to this day. I mean, they've torn down a lot of the mansions on Long Island, but it's still not enough for him. He has a longing in his heart for his, for the woman he loves for whatever reason he loves her. It can't be explained. And I think that's very relatable, even though the book was written a hundred years ago and it was written about people who were nowhere uh, close to being like us. And in many ways, it, it, I feel like a lot of, at least personally, like I feel like Gatsby's very relatable. Nick Carraway especially is, because he's just kind of a normal dude. But Gatsby has the same feelings that a normal person does. And even though he has everything in the world, he can't have what he wants. And he stares out, you know, across the bay, looking at that green light flashing where Daisy and Tom live, just holding out his arms, longing to be with her, and completely alone otherwise. Um so that that's my take on it. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, for me that yeah, I completely understand your why you like it so much for those reasons. Um for me the reason that I didn't get on with it as much as I had hoped to and wanted to is because the two the two there were two characters at the center of this book that to me I didn't gel with. So the Daisy character and the Tom character are very key in the story, aren't they? Because their relationship and the way that Gatsby comes into it later on and disrupts that is 
kind of the crux of the story and that's the tipping point of the story isn't it when right daisy kind of when it re is revealed that daisy was with jay gatsby and she kind of has to choose whether she wants to stay married to this tom guy or whether she wants to you know divorce him and go and live with jay gatsby i found that i didn't care about tom or daisy particularly tom because he's not a very nice character anyway no but because i didn't find myself particularly caring about Daisy's relationship and I wasn't rooting for anybody. It's for me it would have been much I would have been much more positive about the book had I felt strongly either way as to whether Daisy was with Jay Gatsby or with Tom. And I felt like the book never really gave me a reason to care enough about that aspect of the story. It didn't bother me that she was with Tom. It didn't bother me that she might end up with Jay Gatsby. I wasn't rooting for Jay, Jay Gatsby to win in this scenario or end up, you know, marrying her in the end. So it meant that the second half of the book where it spirals out of control and there's the car crash and then, you know, we get Jay Gatsby getting killed and, and you know, Daisy you know, potentially having to take the blame for it. And, or But it was Jay, I think, isn't it, who decides to take the blame anyway he gets killed because I didn't really care about the Daisy relationship and the sort of love triangle between Daisy, Jay and Tom. It meant that the story, the big points in the story didn't really connect with me. I wasn't that upset. Right. You know, I wasn't like gutted that Gatsby died or that, you know, I wasn't like rooting for anything to happen to anybody. So it just kind of felt a little bit flat. But I will say that the sort of second half of the book, for me, was a lot stronger than the first half, and it grabbed me a little bit more. But I don't know. Did you Do you find that the, the, you, the, the, the relationship between Tom and Daisy and Daisy and Jay is a reason that you like this book so much? Do you find that that relationship fascinates you and that sort of love triangle? Or for you, is it just literally it's it's a good period piece and it's kind of a slice of America that's fascinating to kind of look on? Both, both. Definitely a good period piece. But I, I think I'm, I love Jay Gatsby as a character. Like, like we said, he's mysterious. He's new money. He's interesting. And he just, you know, despite all his wealth, he still seems like a normal and reasonable guy whereas Tom and Daisy are just despicable. And it's interesting to me, the reason why I like it is because you know that Daisy's terrible. Nick, who's her cousin, the narrator, Nick Carraway, hates her. He even acknowledges as much, you know, several points throughout the book. But I think it's interesting because love, you know, you can't always control how your heart feels, or you can't control how your heart feels. So maybe it's relatable in the sense that it's like, well, why does Jay Gatsby like this horrible person? It, it seems like he does truly mm. love her for whatever reason. And that to me is interesting because sometimes you just can't explain who you love or why you do. And that would probably resonate with a lot of people as well. And the biggest tragedy besides Gatsby being killed for me in the book is Gatsby's funeral which you know Nick goes mm. to and the only other person there is Gatsby's dad who came from Minnesota or somewhere and hadn't seen his son in years and he's this sort of bedraggled kind of old you know pitiful man who didn't really know what his son had been up to and none of the people none of the party goers none of society could come to Gatsby's funeral they always came to his parties and ate his food and drank his liquor and 
um, wanted to be there when the times were good, but then were not there mm. to pay their respects. And it just kind of shows the false, I guess the falsitudes, is that a word? Falsitudes? Um, uh, yeah, of, of money and and fame and and that lifestyle you know i would rather be poor and happy and have people that love me and be with people that i love than have money and fake friends and Mm. i think that despite how old this book is that still resonates very much because we live in a very narcissistic and money obsessed society still at least you know in america we do and money's never mattered to me you know i'm i'm thankful that i've always done well in life and you know i've worked hard for what i have but i don't really care about money i don't care about society i don't care about impressing people i'm me and you know i'm genuine and maybe gatsby's not relatable in that respect but i think he's relatable in other ways uh just with Mm. with him being human you know with the with the love concept of the novel for the most part, but I will say the movie's great with Leo. Um, and then of course, Toby Maguire plays Nick. It's, it's a, and then I think Joel Edgerton plays Thomas, a great film. Uh, the, actually the older movie from the 1970s with Robert Redford as Gatsby's uh, really good too. So, um, check them, check them out, man. They're, they're good. They're good. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that, that, uh, I find this, I've not seen, as I said, I've not seen the film, not seen the, the Leo DiCaprio film. But because I knew that Leo played Jay Gatsby and I knew that Tobey Maguire was in it, when I'm reading the book, I'm picturing Jay Gatsby as Leonardo DiCaprio, know, which for I me was good too. visual. Because I actually, I, I, I will admit that the reason that often fiction books do not gel with me and I do not get on with them sometimes is because I'm not very good at visualizing stuff that I have no base for. So with like The Martian, for instance... I know what Mars looks like. I know what a space rover looks like. I know what a spaceship looks like. I know what, you know, um, a spacesuit is. You know, so when I'm reading the book, I can really visualize what's going on. Whereas something like some of the descriptions in many books, like fiction books, where you have no base for it, and it's like that in high fantasy, and it's like that in sort of really serious sci-fi, especially, I find it hard to visualize what's going on and then for that reason i don't connect with it so it's like the reason that i've tried to read lord of the rings a few times and you know you read it when you read it you read it and and picture the characters as the characters in the movie but i always think like if i read lord of the rings and didn't see the film and had no concept of how that was how that was visualized I have no idea what I would see Lord of the Rings as. Like all these characters, I would probably see them incredibly differently. I find that quite challenging. It is. You. So it's it is. It's it's uh it's interesting in that sense. But no, I get I get why you like it, and I so I have huge respect for the books. It's really well written. Yeah. Um, and it's very digestible. Um, I just yeah, it's just one of those. I just didn't I didn't find myself caring about any of the characters enough to kind of. I just it didn't have the impact like when when there's the deaths at the end and the funeral. Although I kind of thought, oh, it's quite sad, and there is like clearly it's kind of that metaphor, like you're kind of hinting at that. You know, the fact that he doesn't have anybody really who comes to his funeral, and um, it like tells you you need to know about the people around him and how people perceived him and you know, how much people actually cared. That's quite an interesting part of it. But because I didn't care about Jay Gatsby in in the book, 
it didn't really struck it didn't hit me hard sure yeah. it, it might do to somebody like you i'm glad you don't agree because it's it's good to have other perspectives on it too and um i i think that's I'm the good. thing is that in the one way it's a really good book because it's quite short and it's and it's easy to read but in another way i kind of felt like had i known more about some of these characters maybe i would have cared more maybe if it was 100 pages longer and we learned more about jay gatsby and his backstory and uh, more about his life outside of the sort of because he's not really in it very much is he he's kind of referenced and he's, he appears in the book very much but i guess that's part of the part of the mysteriousness of him as a character as a fact that he's not really in it that and that's kind of the way he's perceived publicly by the people who attend his parties because he's not really there and that that kind of it's on purpose isn't it but i but at the same time it meant i didn't really care about him because i didn't know much about it right no that makes perfect sense and you know if you're ever bored on the toilet or you can't sleep or something um read read like the wikipedia page or a short article or something on the author uh scott fitzgerald's life um he he actually sadly lived a life very much like his characters um he and his wife had a mm. tumultuous marriage he basically made a lot of money lost a lot of money like many people did during the time period and ended up dying at a relatively young age i think in his 40s of uh of a heart attack he drank himself to death and then his wife ended up in this in an insane asylum i start talking too fast mm. and i start stuttering um she ended up uh in an insane asylum actually in Asheville, North Carolina, and it burned to the ground and killed her. And the site where this uh mental hospital was or is the site present tense, um, is allegedly haunted. So oddly enough, um, you know, very, very tragic lives by the author and his wife. Um, and then he was also descended from the guy that wrote the uh a Star-Spangled Banner, the national anthem of the United States, uh, Francis Scott Key. And then, of course, uh, the author was Francis Scott. I think he might have been Francis Scott Key Fitzgerald. So there's a little interesting tidbit, too. Um, mm -hmm. and... Can I make a suggestion for the sure. podcast? So I've you recommended The Great Gatsby. I've read it. We've discussed it. Now it's your turn. You've got like another couple of episodes or three episodes time to read The Martian. I'll do it. And then we'll discuss The Martian. Yeah? I'll Why do don't it. we do that and keep that as a thing so that every two or three episodes we've got like a book or a film to discuss. Yeah. That we kind of introduce the other person. It always has to be something that one of us hasn't read or watched or whatever. So that's your challenge is to read The Martian. And when you've read it, we'll discuss it because I'm almost done with it. I can do that. That would be, be cool. Good. I've been trying to get back into reading. It's been a busy month. The last August was different for me. So, mm. um, reading, I've got to read 52 books this year. I've read 30, I'm behind, but I'll, I'll do that. That'll be fun. Um, let's close this topic with the last couple of words from the book, which, you know, in, in Fitzgerald's short life, the, the man could write. And you even said that, you know, and I just kind of wanted to share that to sum this up and then we'll move on to social media if that works for you. Yep. Um, so the, the closing sentences of the book are just Gatsby believed in the green light, the orgastic future that year by year recedes before us. It eluded us then, but that's no matter. Tomorrow we will run faster, stretch out our arms farther, and one fine morning. So we beat on boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past. 
and then that's the end of the book. And ladies and gentlemen, we didn't mean to do this, but we just tied that into the word hurray um, that we talked about earlier in the episode because it sounds like Gatsby himself was probably feeling a little bit of that concept or word or whatever. <laughs> um, so I, that was not intentional, but it worked, didn't it? So. <laughs> We're geniuses, Stephen. <laughs> We're geniuses. Um all right. Gosh, man, that was good. We're already at an hour, but let's let's do this and then we'll run through the top three, bottom three, and call it an evening. Um, so second topic is social media. And God, we could talk about this for hours too, I'm sure. Um I don't know what to do with social media, bud. I mean, I have had Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and all that crap in the past. I don't anymore. The The last thread of social media that I'm hanging on to is Instagram, and I am so addicted to it. I check it all the time, and it drives me crazy. Um, I just want to get rid of it, but I can't because it's how I'm connected to people. And during COVID, I had no social media. Everything was deactivated, and it was great. And people still get in touch with you if you don't have social media. It's amazing. Um, but, of course, without social media, how would we share our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's so complex, isn't it? Because it's such a, 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 a significant – it's a really significant part of all our lives, but it's also incredibly insignificant because it's just it, – it's far more it's, – it gets perceived as something that's far more important than it actually is. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of an enigma. I mean, I've got plenty of opinion that I can share on it and that's partly because it's been a big part of my career has been on social media. So obviously I did a couple of years of doing communications work outside of my work as a journalist and that's all, you know, very social media driven in places when it comes to marketing and PR. And so it's, it's kind of been a necessary evil for me and it has always been in my um, adult life because you know working as a journalist it's kind of necessary to have social media to kind of promote your stuff and I have to use social media to push what I'm doing at work and I use like work I've work accounts on Facebook and and Instagram and Fred's now and Twitter and these sorts of things and you kind of you, you can't get away with not being on it so for me the worst part about it is I hate social media and if I wasn't a journalist, I wouldn't be on it at all. I would, you know, yeah. I, I, there was a time when I enjoyed being on social media when it's in its early days, like I, like early on in Twitter when it was mainly just a news feed, really, rather than being like a place to debate stuff. Um, and I was on Facebook for a while. I still have accounts on Facebook and stuff, but I never ever use it. Like I never use my personal Facebook, and I never check it. But I can't really get away with it. I have to use Facebook. I have to post on my work channels. I have to use Twitter and and Instagram and stuff because of what I'm doing as a job. Um, and I wish, in many ways, that some of these social media platforms would just go bang and be gone, and then <laughs> wouldn't have to worry about them anymore. Because they just they just we've got to a point. There is just no benefit to them, really. I mean, you could argue that you, you know they're good for keeping in touch with people and friends and family in some instances and you know if you want to keep up with the news maybe having a twitter feed is good if you just follow specific journalists news outlets and sports teams or whatever it is you want to but you can make it a fun experience if you just sort of keep it to a very you know cutthroat list of followers 
or people that you follow or organizations that you follow, you know, it doesn't have to be this toxic political mess that it's kind of become. Yeah. But it's become unavoidable in a sense now. I just feel like this whether you're on it or not, it's talked about all the time. And no matter what the platform is, you know, it does, it, you know, it's more bad than good a lot of the time. And it's changed our habits, hasn't it? It's changed, you know, a lot of people just don't have an attention span anymore because they have to just be constantly on their phones. And we're kind of all, people of our generation are kind of all guilty of it now. We just kind of feel like a slave to it and you don't really notice you're doing it until you sit there and think why am i scrolling through twitter Doom scrolling. for me it's just like it's just like for me it's like a work thing because i'm just like constantly checking twitter and and stuff like that just to make sure that no news is breaking in my world so i'm constantly on my work twitter account to check just to make sure that something's not happening that i need to jump on and it's so unhealthy you know, and it, nobody should be expected to do that, but you just kind of do. And it's just become like, a, like our phones have kind of become an extension of our arm in a way. They're just kind of glued to them and you just can't escape it. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's so complex and it's had such an effect on society. And I'm not convinced it's for the best in, in many ways, if any at all, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. I, I would largely, I don't know, maybe one day when I'm settled down and I have a wife and a family, I'll just not even care about social media because I know many people that don't, you know, and if you're happy and I am happy now, but you know, if you're content in your life and you're busy and stuff, like I feel like there's just no point in it because you have people to take care of and things to do and responsibilities. So I feel like, you know, it's easy being a single guy living being a bachelor, you know, whatever, living, I don't have any roommates or anything where I'm just like, oh, I want to get on Instagram and see what people are up to. And then it's like, then I'm on Reddit and, you know, like people keep on sending me TikToks and I have refused to download TikTok because it's Chinese malware and we all know it. And, you know, like my friend Amanda, who I'm seeing in New York, um, she sent me a TikTok today. And I, of course, every time I get a TikTok, I just watch it in a web browser because I don't want to download TikTok. I refuse. And Instagram threads, what even is that? I don't even know what that is. I know you have to have it for work, but I, I'm refusing to do that too. So It's basically a really dumbed down version of Twitter. It's, it's Twitter without, without, one, without as many users, um, two, with a, just, it's, it's kind of an extension in Instagram or a sense that it's people use it, I guess, pictorially, but it's, again, it's just a place that you can follow news, like by following like news outlets and sports teams and stuff, yeah. but it's essentially just Twitter by a different name, um, but just probably not as toxic because all the people that want to be outraged and angry of stuff and shout at people and just be nasty aren't really on it yet because not many people are on it. So it hasn't been infiltrated by quite so many arseholes. So it's 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 kind of like a really sort of it's like a Fisher Price version of Twitter. Really, it's not got the functionality. It's very basic and it's very new in the sense that there just isn't this history of it being a place where people just go on and shout at each other. So it hasn't got that yet, but it probably will in time. Oh, for sure. But it's yeah. It's it's just. Just Twitter with more pictures, as far as I'm concerned. You got to have mad respect for the people out there living their lives without social media. I mean, like, 
you know, I miss the days before, even though like Facebook was really cool. I guess I've made a Facebook in high school or I had a MySpace before that. Did you ever have a MySpace? No, I've never had MySpace. Um, MySpace was cool and it didn't last around long enough for it to become toxic. But, um, you know, Facebook was cool for a while, but I deleted that years ago. And then I don't know, man, it's like, it's almost like it's an, an, it's, Social media feels inevitable. It feels like a freight train barreling at 220 miles an hour through the night right for us, and there's not a darn thing that we can do about it to prevent its inevitability. Uh, That's at least how I feel about it because it's just so consuming. I mean, like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And don't even get me started on dating apps, but – that's a whole different breed of so if it even is social media, I guess it is. I don't know. I mean, even WhatsApp social media, apparently. I never thought of it as social media, but I guess it is. So um mm. Yeah. Well it, it well it's I guess technically it is, but it's no different to texting people, is it? Yeah, that's that's no not to use my message. And I only use WhatsApp because you guys do, but now that you have an iPhone, you and I just iMessage, which is the primary way I message people, but um, I don't know. It, it's a strange. And then with the meta stuff and, you know, like social media is different now than it was 10 years ago. What's it going to be like when we have chips in our ears and virtual reality? Like, are we going to be able to like see people and walk around in a virtual world or, you know, that's some form of social media in the future. I mean, this stuff isn't too far away. No, 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 definitely not. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, God forbid if we ever just get to a point where it's like Wally and we all just sit in a chair and just don't have to do anything anymore. Like the Matrix. Um, but it does, it, you know, it does feel a bit like that's, that could be something that happens. But yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's not worth the time and effort. It, you know, if you really want to know, if you really want to use the internet to get news, just go to your, the news outlets you subscribe to or follow or trust. You know, go and seek things out yourself you don't need to be kind of gifted it you know if you want to talk to your friends and see what your friends are up to just ask them you don't need to scroll on a facebook feed to see who's on holiday at the moment yeah you know ultimately if it's that important they'll tell you you well and the thing is i I never use it as as a as a as a platform to tell people what's good or bad about my life because people don't care and i don't want to like put stuff out there to get a reaction and sympathy from people or encouragement from people on something because it's just not me. I'm not that sort of person. I don't like that sort of attention. So it's, you know, I probably did early days of social media when I was in school or whatever, but before you sort of become an adult and really understand the world a bit more. So it's, yeah, it's for me, it's just, it's unhealthy. Um, And I, I like the fact that I, you know, if I use it, I only try and use it during work hours now. Um, but you know, I, I use things like Reddit to follow the, the Reddit groups for sports teams. I follow primarily because that's a good way of interacting with fans. And it's for me, it's nowhere near as toxic as people shouting at each other on Twitter because they see the world differently in the political sense. So you know, there are some things that you, know, you can do that are, that are, that are, you know better for you mentally. But ultimately it's always nice when you don't have access to it. I quite like being on a flight for 12 hours in a sense. I know I, there's no point in picking up my phone and turning it on in many instances unless I'm using it to listen to something because there is nothing I can do and it's quite refreshing. 
to be yeah. to be completely cut off and have an excuse so that if people are messaging you or whatever or things are happening, it's like, well, I'm on a plane, so there was nothing I could do about it. Sorry. <laughs> it's yeah. quite nice to be in that sort of never zone. It is. Because so, we don't get it enough anymore. Well, and you know, like, when I did not have any social media, which, again, these days I only have Instagram, which I guess is pretty good. Um, when I didn't have social media for that year and a half, two years during COVID, I just, like, felt better, you know? And, like, if people want to talk to you, and they do, they will reach out to you. And if somebody needs you, they'll find a way. Like, if they need your number, they'll figure out how to get it, you know? Like, it's people will. Um, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's troubling, troubling sometimes. Just, take, just get off it and see how it goes. Just, like, yeah. uninstall the app and take a few weeks off of it and see if it actually, am I getting anything out of this? Yeah. If you have the luxury of not needing to use it, the the sort of curse of doing my job, which I love so much, uh, you know, I feel hugely privileged to do what I do for work, is that I have to use it every day in some capacity, whether I'm scrolling through it or posting stuff. I, it has to be a part of my life until I'm told otherwise. Hopefully at some point I'll get to a point where I don't need to be using my work social media channels because somebody else will be doing it and it'll be their job. But that's maybe a little bit down the line. Um, in terms of the the work, the company that I work for and the growth that we're we're seeing at the moment, so just get off it and you know find out, you know, read the news elsewhere and do what we do. Chat on. We don't have a chat on social media in the traditional sense. We usually talk to each other over text or in podcast group chats <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, or on a podcast. Yeah. It's, now everybody me, can hear a better way to do it. Um, exactly. It's... <laughs> I probably will. You know, it's it doesn't really matter to me. It's just a habit, and habits are hard to break. Um, so the worst thing about it is when it disrupts things you're doing, like when you're at dinner and you feel compelled to like get your phone out when you should be talking to the people that are there in front of you, or when you're at a, an event or something and you spend most of your time staring at your phone, checking it rather than actually watching the concert in front yeah. of you or watching the you know doing something it's I, I try and be as disciplined as i can in those situations where it's like okay i'm at the cinema or i'm at a you know a sporting venue my phone's in my pocket it's gone it's i'm with the people i'm with i'm having fun with them i don't need to be constantly monitoring what everyone else is doing it's i'm living in my own reality yeah it's always <laughs> good to be present isn't it um mm. And it's hard to be, you know, my, my parents, my parents check their phones and I check mine and we all get after each other. Honestly, Emily, my sister, probably the best of us all. I think she just puts her phone on do not disturb and, and doesn't bother anybody and nobody bothers her. So shout out, Emily. Well, sis, you're, uh, you're better than your big brother in that regard and probably in most regards. But um, I don't know what else to say about social media. I really don't. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see where it goes because it feels like we're at a tipping point now where you've got people who are middle-aged or our age and above, I feel like, are, are walking away from it in numbers. That's the impression I get. Less and less people who are older are glued to it because it's just become something that you don't need and people are realising that they actually don't need to rely on it. You know, there's never been... You know, Twitter has lost a lot of people 
Facebook has lost most people from my generation. I don't think there are that many people. I could be wrong, but people from my generation, I don't think sit on Facebook all day and post on it anymore. No, um, no. It's more younger people on TikTok and Instagram. That's the way I read it. Whoa. And so it's down to them. At what point does that generation get tired of it? And if they get tired of it, tired of it to a point where some of these companies like like a Twitter, which is going through just a complete mass exodus because Elon Musk is, you know, trying, it feels like he's trying to destroy it. So if he is, fair play to him. But yeah, if mean, we reach a point where people just don't see it as very important anymore, what's going to replace it? That's the scary bit. Yeah. <laughs> Twitter definitely needed to be shut down after the past couple of years. I, I think the scariest thing is, and I just thought of this, is that these social media companies are like big tobacco. And hear me out on this. These big corporations always, because of the money and influence they have, find a way to rope people or a younger generation back in. Our generation basically had quit smoking, right? Like mm. the ad campaigns against cigarettes and tobacco use were ever present in our childhoods and in our teenage years. But these assholes at RJ Reynolds and Philip Morris invented vapes. And now you got all these jerks vaping, which you're just injecting chemicals into your lungs and giving yourself cancer by another name or hardening your arteries in another way. And everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people are wrote back in. You see these people lighting up a vape or whatever you do with a vape. And it's, it's kind of disgusting really that, that it's reinvented mm. itself in that way. And, you know, social media is going to do the same thing. I mean, look at Instagram, like Instagram has reels like TikTok and then TikTok's ever present now. And it's the thing. And then now the Twitter's on the way out, potentially Instagram took advantage of that. Meta took advantage of that and created threads because they saw an opportunity. And it's like, how are these people going to just keep on reinventing their platforms to draw people back in? So that, That'll be curious to see over the coming years, I suppose, in a in a kind of a morbid way. Mm, it's just uh, they know that they can that people can be taken advantage of, and people can grow an addiction to something. And so it's just a case of companies and people with big brains trying to work out what the next big thing that's going to engross people is. And it's yeah, it's kind of sad in a way um, that that we you know have a lifestyle like this. And that it's part of our lives, but people talk with their wallets and they vote with their feet, don't they? Yeah. Um, you well, know, you know people, what? It's people. Nobody's being like you know forced to use it all day, every day. People are choosing to do it, and you know that's up to them, isn't it? Well, you know what's interesting is I don't know. I don't know why I thought of this just now, but. You know, like I remember being like a kid and going to McDonald's, which seems like we did a lot, you know, because we loved McDonald's as kids. And like people would be sitting there reading newspapers, like even the workers on break, on lunch break at McDonald's would be sitting there reading, you know, a newspaper. And there were no cell phones. And I remember my dad always got the paper every morning and only recently stopped getting it, the local Bristol paper, the Bristol Herald Courier. But, um, it just seems like now, you know, everybody's on their damn phone and I'm guilty of it too. So I'm not, uh, I'm not taking a self-righteous path here. I'll be the first to admit that I check my phone way too much. Um, and it's a problem for sure. So 
<sighs> 80 minutes almost, Stephen. Shall we do the top three, bottom three? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So I just made these up. We didn't have any submissions. So if you're listening out there, folks, send us your top three, bottom three. We will discuss it and give you a shout out. Um, top three wing sauces. Ooh, this was a hard one because I love wings and you do too. Um, Cajun dry rub for me. Always a big fan of dry rub wings. Anything ranch. Love ranch dressing. It's a staple. And then Parmesan garlic. Those are my top three. Go for it. Mm, they're really good choices. I mean, I like all three of those. We don't really get Cajun dry rub over here. It's quite rare, to my knowledge. Not many Cajuns. So it's kind of thing I'll have when I'm... Yeah, when I have when I have wings in America, I will try it because it's dry rub wings aren't really a thing over here because we don't have the the same wing culture that America <laughs> has. Where it's not there is a wing culture. Oh yeah, you know, there was there. You know, we have chicken shops. You know, we you know there are chicken shops. You've been to chicken shops. You've got ill eating at chicken shops. It's we've all been there. But there's no high end wing shops really in this country people aren't mad about chicken wings like they are in america it's not like let's go and dance at the bar and have bucket of wings and watch sports there it's not really as big of a thing so we don't have places where you've got like 60 different types of wing you can order it's just do you want wings yes or no and it usually (laughs) it's a side to something else so oh that's why i love buffalo wild wings so much it's everything i love in one building aside from (laughs) pizza basically it's not even Um, the best wing place I know, but I love it. I mean, I'm so that, and that's the nostalgia thing. Yeah. First time I go to America, me and Dad, we went to um, Minnesota. Um, went to see a baseball game, and that we then ended up. I think the first time I had Buffalo Wild Wings was in Green Bay, and to me, Buffalo Wild Wings are, are associated with the memories of going on that trip and going to Buffalo Wild Wings for the first time. I'm walking into Buffalo Wild Wings and seeing all the screens and being like, holy moly, what have I just got myself into? This is the coolest place I've ever seen because I've never seen a sports bar properly like it before. You know, and being a sports nut, it was like, <laughs> I was like, you know, I was like, a, it was like Aladdin's cave to me because we just don't have, we have sports bars a, a bit now, a bit more, but because we don't have as much sport over here and it's not on constantly like it is in the States, they just aren't a thing. Sure. So, for me, Buffalo Wild Wings is the place because it just brings back memories of the first time I went to the States and just, oh man, I love it. So for me, the top three are, I love ranch, so that's in there. Yeah. Um, buffalo, I love a really spicy buffalo um, wings. <laughs> me too. Um, and I love Korean barbecue wings. They do that, don't they, in Buffalo Wild Wings and East Coast Wings did like Korean barbecue flavor like or sweet bar- honey barbecue, that sort of thing. I love those, like barbecue wings. So that's my top three. Well, those are good. Those are good uh, choices as well. Um, and you know, I'm not knocking on Buffalo Wild Wings during the ETSU days. Me and my my friend group and I, we would go to Buffalo Wild Wings every Thursday night for for wing boneless wing night. Every Thursday nights, ate it so oh, much we got sick of it. And boneless wings aren't a thing here, and it's so sad that people haven't realized the joy the bonus wings can bring. They've not been invented yet in the UK, have they? They've not really. I've never never found a place that sells them. Well, it's so sad. It is. I love boneless wings. I had I had wings this weekend. Um, I had boneless wings and regular wings this past weekend. Good man. Good man. So, so yeah, no, 
there, there's not many bad wing flavors. Um, and then, of course, East Coast wings, you have like 50 flavors, which you went to with me last year. So that's my favorite chain wing place. Um, and then I guess yeah. we've got bottom three pizza joints. And I'm laughing at yours, but uh, I hate to even say this, Pizza Hut. Um, and only because Pizza Hut used to be awesome. Like when it was a sit-down restaurant with a red roof and a buffet and the deep dish pizza and the salad bar. And it used to be so good. And even my parents talk about like Pizza Hut back in the 80s when Pizza Hut was good and it felt like a real restaurant. Now, Pizza Hut's just bad. I mean, it's it's all mostly carry out now or delivery or whatever and or takeaway, as you say. And I don't eat it. Which, um which, by the way, my dad kept on saying takeaway the other weekend, and I was like, takeaway? <laughs> Where are you from, the UK? Um, so that was funny, because we don't say takeaway typically. Um, secondly is Hungry Howie's, which is another pizza chain in America. There's one literally less than a mile from my house. I've never eaten at Hungry, Howie, Hungry Howie's solely because our friend Jake said it was bad, and if Jake won't eat it, it must be bad. <laughs> so... <laughs> I've heard of Hungry Howie's. Is it in like a, a like a prolific movie or something? Maybe. I feel like I know it, but I've never noticed one. But I feel like I know the name Hungry Howie's means something to me, but I can't place it. They're around. Um, I don't know what like where they originate from, but they're they're in Charlotte for sure. Um, and then lastly, I really couldn't think of another one. I wrote down Pizza Express, which is a UK chain, and. I just remember eating it with you once and maybe I need to go again, but it just, it was just weird. Like, you know, the pizza was okay, but people like everybody in there was eating pizza with forks and knives, which is a very British thing to do. And I just felt like it was average. I don't know. Do you like pizza express? Do you go still? Yeah. I mean, I don't have it very often, but cause I don't have one near me. Um, but yeah, I think you give it a hard time. It's really not that bad. It's it's, I would say it's the, it's closest comparison to american pizza places is the california pizza kitchen that's what i would compare it to thin base mostly you know interesting topping combinations i wouldn't ever order one for delivery or take one out i would go because it's more of a sit-down meal experience to go to pizza express you can take them out but i would never choose that over the delivery places so I like Pizza Express. I don't go very often. They do very good gluten-free pizzas. So I've the only times I usually go to Pizza Express is with um, my friend Richard, who you know from coming to the Spurs game with him. Oh, yeah. Because he's gluten-free. So I, when I used to work with him, um, we would go for meetings at Pizza Express because they're very good at dealing with people who have got like issues like celiac disease or allergies. So he's he's he knows if he goes to Pizza Express, they cook things right and he, he's at no risk of getting very ill from eating there so that's the only time i ever go but yeah it's pretty good it's and what good. what are your bottom three pizza pies? <laughs> so i thought long and hard about this and i saw your list <laughs> i was thinking do i have a bottom three and then i thought no i don't have a bottom three and the reason i don't have a bottom three is because there's no such thing as bad pizza daniel true i have eaten pizza all over the world. I've eaten pizza in the heart of Italy. I've eaten pizza in Southern America. I've eaten deep dish Chicago pizza. I've had pizza in Japan. I've you've had eaten pizza p- in China. You've eaten I've pizza, eaten pizza in Liverpool. <laughs> at yeah, one o'clock I've had in the pizza. 
Yep, I've had pizza in Belgium. I've had pizza. I've literally I've been to over fifty countries now, and I've probably eaten pizza in forty nine of them. Do you um, remember that time I, in Belgium that that we were at that pizza place and the waitress was so drunk she brought out my pizza and was like staggering and the pizza just slid off the plate. <laughs> well, famously, I wasn't there. Oh, you that's were with right. my parents and I wasn't there. <laughs> so. <yeah. laughs> Well, if you're ever so, around... so yeah, my bottom my, my bottom three is there aren't any because there's no such thing as bad pizza. The only the only pizza that I was considering putting on the bottom three list is Domino's and over here, and not because I don't like Domino's pizza, but because Domino's pizza gen generally messes with my digestive system. <laughs> I love Domino's pizza. It's really oily and sloppy, and there's loads of cheese on it. And... <laughs> I, you know, I love Domino's Pizza. If anything, it might be my favorite pizza place, but it makes me feel ill um, every time. Like, it just upsets my stomach for whatever reason. Whatever they ingredients they use or recipe they use for the dough, I don't know what it is, but it always makes me feel bad the next day. And so I kind of don't eat it very often anymore because I know I'm going to pay for it. So that would be it. But but I don't dislike it. I love it. I just know it. I just I know it will make me feel ill, but I, sometimes I like it. So I like it enough that sometimes I'll just go. Do you know what? I know I'm going to feel like crap tomorrow, but I'm going to eat it anyway. So, <laughs> it's that good. But yeah, so there aren't there aren't a bottom free pizza joints because there is no such thing as a bad pizza. Unless you're even bad pizza York. is good pizza. Now I will tell you, New Yorker pizza snobs, those suckers, they'll call out bad pizza when there's bad pizza. And <laughs> well, it's good because I'm going there for the first time in December and I'm looking forward to sampling the pizza. And you know, I will critique that, I will critique that pizza for them. They will they, not know what's coming when they come down here to visit me. They won't even eat the pizza down here. Um, so yeah, you'll you'll just make sure you go to Zabarro's like Michael Scott did in that office episode. That's the best pizza place in Manhattan. <laughs> you'll have to send me the link to that. I'd forgotten that. It's a, it's a joke. Zabarro's is like a mall fast food pizza. It's like a food court in the mall pizza. Uh, okay. he, he goes saying he loves New York pizza. So don't don't go there, Stephen. Don't go there. Oh, okay. Well, um, you should you should find out when you're in New York, if you have a particularly good pizza or you find something or you hear about the best pizza in New York, do tell me because I would like to try it. If you're from New York and you're listening to this podcast and you're a pizza snob, which we know you are, Tell Stephen where to eat pizza in Manhattan or wherever the heck you're staying. Um, mm. 90 minutes. Jeez. 90 minutes. Keep it tight and keep it 60 minutes, we said. Let's all sleep very well tonight, we said. And here we are. It's 2 o'clock in the morning and I've got work tomorrow. Ah, well, you took one for the team, my <laughs> friend. You took one for the team. Well, it's been a I pleasure. Was worth it. It's good to catch up with you, bud. Glad you're back home safe. I'll... Uh, I'm sure we'll talk tomorrow. And um, thanks again for listening to the 12th episode of Neither Here Nor There. We hope you enjoyed it. Please, please, please continue to like and share and subscribe and all that stuff. Or just tell people about and, us. And email us on neitherherenortherepod at gmail.com. Yep. The only emails we've gotten on there are spam. So <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of spam. Is he one of your friends? Yeah, that's Jake's brother. Spam. <laughs> oh, spam a lot. Spam a lot. Well, bud, get some sleep and um, go Braves. 
I don't like the Dodgers. Yeah, go players. Dodgers. Ugh, ugh. Um, go, go Dodgers, baby. That's right. Well, thanks again, everybody. We're signing off, and good to, good to talk to you, my friend. We'll see you next time. See you soon. Bye.